Um, thanks for being so kind and welcoming my friends Taylor and Angie, who are down here from Minnesota escaping the snow. Yeah, it was snowing this week. And uh, they're from my home church, Church of the Open Door up there in Maple Grove. And uh, just grateful that they led worship today. And during the first service, uh, Isaac Horton painted that. We're adding to our, our Isaac Horton gallery. And um, as the message is over, you may want to come up and kind of reflect and... and artistically take in what my brother created as we worshiped during the first service. Uh, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. It's going to be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. What's happening as we get ready to read this passage where we are in the story is Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem, and he knows that he's going to his death. Uh, his followers don't know it yet. They're, they're still thinking, we're going for this amazing uh, party celebration, Passover, and maybe they're hoping Jesus is going to kick out the Romans and finally become the king, make us a superpower again. Um, they still don't get it. And here we go. That's the context of where we're at here. Verse 51, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now, I'll just stop for a second and explain a little context. There was this nasty racism between Samaritans and Jews. The Jews considered Samaritans to be half-breeds, so they weren't pure Jewish. And then there were Samaritans responded right back to being treated with contempt by hating the Jews right back. It's part of why, by the way, when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, which many of you have heard, the Good Samaritan, uh, that story was actually a scandal when Jesus told it. It would be like showing up in, in the land of Israel today and telling the story of the Good Palestinian or the Good Iraqi. Um, so that's, that's the kind of tension, and it was kind of weird, actually, um, if we had the map to look at it, why, why they would be going through Samaria, Jesus and his disciples. It was kind of abnormal to do that. Normally, they'd you know, cross through Jordan and go a different route. But for some reason, they're going through Samaria. Personally, my opinion, this is just Doug, this isn't in the text, but I think that Jesus is offering one last opportunity to remind his followers and to remind the Samaritans that his kingdom is open to all people. So that's where they're traveling, and for whatever reason they're doing it, look what happens, verse 53. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, there's a story behind that, but we don't have time to get into that. But, but that's what happens. Suddenly, Jesus isn't going to get welcomed. So now, think about this. His disciples, who have been walking with him and witnessed firsthand for three years this, this love of Jesus, his compassion, his grace, He's, they're seeing it close up for three years. So how do they handle this rejection? How do they respond to this rejection? <clears throat> they were super classy. Uh, when the disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, by the way, when they saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? I wish I had a good Beavis and Butthead voice. I would use that right there, but I don't. But it's kind of this shocking moment, and it's like, What? What is going on? Like, like, holy smokes, like, here they are walking with God, and God, who is love, is standing right there, and they want to blow the place up? 
I mean, this is classic us versus them thinking, which is the title of our message today. And us versus them, that whole thinking is just, it is way easier to do, by the way. It's, it's way easier than doing the hard work of showing the love and the grace of Jesus to a world who desperately needs to know the love and grace of Jesus. See, it's way easier to, to just have this reaction and this reflex of, you know, justice for them and let's give them what they deserve. That's way easier than, than to ask Jesus, oh, Jesus, how do I show love and grace to that person who screwed me over, to that person who lied or is still lying and deceiving stuff about me? It's, it's really hard to, to go, how do I show love and grace even to that person who doesn't share my viewpoint. Um, but doing that, by the way, would require me to step outside of my hurt, to step outside of my strong opinion, and to truly offer love, which is really rare to do. Um, but by the way, back to finish the story here, um, look at Jesus' response to this request to bring down fire and destroy the city, verse 55. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Um, which, again, this is odd. I want to start with this story here because a little confession here. What's, what's crazy about this story is that seeing how the disciples reacted, I'm a little bit relieved. I mean, here were these guys that for three years walked with Jesus, and they still didn't get it, which makes me feel better about the fact that I often don't get it. Like, it, it can be encouraging to us because sometimes we don't get it. Like, the patience and the grace of God is still towards us when we're knuckleheads and when we don't get it. Uh, because in the history of people, which, you know, it's been a long time, we all tend to gravitate to doing life with people who are like me. Because when people are different than me, or even when they're nasty to me or have lied, and then that starts to get a little worse. It turns into us versus them. Us versus them. But when Jesus came, he broke down the walls that divided people. Walls that had, before Jesus, kept people separate from each other. Walls that were built by fear and control. And Jesus was so emphatic about breaking down the walls that the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, it's up on the screen here, verse 11, here, there is, this in, in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, which was a big deal back then to write something like that. It was a big deal to write this next phrase, circumcised or uncircumcised, which were two different kinds of people in a religious way. There was no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but he says, Christ is all and is in all. By the way, um, he's in all. He's in all, it says right here. Next verse, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Let's pause on that for a minute. As God's chosen people, that's who you are. See, you are not your category. You are not your country. You are not your nationality or your race. That is not what identifies who you are. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Who you are is now called, according to here in several places in the New Testament, God's chosen people, right? And so as God's chosen people, in your identity, put all this other stuff aside. It says, next, next phrase says, holy and dearly loved. 
Clothe yourselves. Here's what we put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. <laughs> um, and here's how we treat others. Verse 13, bear with each other, which was written just for my wife, so she knows she had to bear with me, yeah. Um, <laughs> bear with each other. Forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since, listen to this, as members of one body, that's who we are, members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. He reminds us here, we're members, the last, last verse, members of one body, okay, members of one body, so there is no us or them. See, if we're going to follow in the way of Jesus... It never allows, he never allows for us to say, yeah, but, right? No, no, no. Members of one body love one another. Yeah, 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 but love them? We don't get to say that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, but they treated me disrespectfully. Or, yeah, but, but they lied about me. Um, or, yeah, yeah, they insulted my faith. Or, yeah, but, yeah, but they didn't agree with my politics. Or, yeah, but they're so different from me. It, folks, Never. Like, it never allows for that. Not to follow Jesus. And we're in this series called Unexpected, the Surprising Nature of the Kingdom of God. And these past month, we've been focusing on how the way things operate in the kingdom of God is very different from the way things work in the kingdom of this world. Here's a quick summary statement we've looked at most of the weeks. The kingdom of God is not about the power of the sword, which we've been calling power over, it's about the power of the cross, power under. And again, I want us to have this picture real clearly in, in your mind because this is the foundation for everything else that I'm saying in this series on the kingdom of God. See, the radically unique nature of the kingdom of God and the way that it brings its influence to our world is power under, not power over. Right? Our symbol of our faith is a cross, not a sword. So, I want to talk to you about maybe a little bit of a sensitive subject this week, and I'm asking you to hear me out, and I'm asking us all to be willing to set aside our preferences and just allow the Holy Spirit some room to speak to our hearts. Let, let's have this posture of, search me, O oh God, know my heart. Because we're going to talk about some current events things, some things that, that are current in our culture, and uh, a brilliant woman said to me this week, uh, we have to talk about this because Christians are being discipled by the news instead of the Bible. By the way, look at the brilliant woman who wrote that right there. My wife. That's my wife, Heidi. Yeah. I'm earning brownie points, babe. I just, um... <clears throat> two of my preaching heroes are pastors from two different churches in Minnesota, Greg Boyd and Dave Johnson. They first sparked my thinking in this area, teaching about the power of the kingdom of God and, and how that's power under versus the whole idea of the kingdom of this world being power over. And back then, when I first heard this, it was like somebody turned the lights on in, uh, in Scripture and helped me to see what I'd never seen before in terms of how the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God are diametrically opposed to one another. And a few weeks ago, you might remember, we talked about that, and I actually had the fill in the blanks because I was ahead that week a little bit, and then I put in too many blanks because we were going to be way too long in the sermon, so I gave the OCD people the blanks to fill in, but we didn't get to that point. Anybody remember that from a few weeks ago? Yeah. So now we're going to go back and we're going to cover that one. Um, and here was the, 
the big point that we didn't get to in that. Uh, one distinction between the kingdoms um, is this. The kingdoms of this world are by definition tribal, national, and therefore they are marked by conflict. In the kingdoms of this world, it is always us against them. So, think about this. In the kingdoms of this world, you know, my nationality is best, my country is best, my sports team is best. Go Vikings. Any Packer fans here? Get out. You're out. Go. You're gone. Um, now, that stuff can be funny. Uh, Will and I were talking about that. You know, sometimes it's a way to bond with somebody of the other sports team. Um, but, but then it gets sometimes, you know, it gets a little less amusing the farther we go with stuff like our church is best. Our denomination is best. Our <clears throat> political party is best. Our race, our gender, our economic group, it's us versus them. And this us versus them mentality is the DNA of the kingdoms of this world. And Dave Johnson points out that it's accompanied by an almost universal demonizing of the people from that different church or the different country or the different nationality, denomination, or political party. Um, we'll pick a safe one here, right? Um, politics, right? That's a safe one, right? Uh, see, I grew, up in, uh, I grew up in a Christian home, and in the church that I grew up in, the people that I hung around, none of us could imagine a Christian being a Democrat, <laughs> right? And honestly, I'm embarrassed to tell you that, but we just, we couldn't imagine a Christian being a Democrat because Democrats are, well, you know, but that whole thing gets really messed up when you, like I did, meet other people, um, maybe from different places or backgrounds, and they also love Jesus, they also grew up in Christian families, and they couldn't conceive of a Christian ever voting Republican because Republicans are, well, you know. By the way, when you or me or the Christian talk show host operates in that mentality, just don't wonder what kingdom we're functioning in. That's the kingdom of this world. That's power over. And I wasted years and years confusing my faith with talk radio noise, and now we just get to do it on Facebook. And this us versus them stuff is tribal. It demonizes the other church, the other denomination, the other political party. There's no dialogue at all. That's the kingdom of this world. It's us versus them. And we're seeing that all over in our country, in our culture right now. And the problem is we're trying to jump in and pick a side and argue. And we're jumping into the kingdom of this world method to try to make a difference but the outcome when we do that stuff is that whenever the kingdom of God fuses itself with the kingdom of this world, then the kingdom of God gets quenched and the church becomes impotent. Now, the kingdom of God is not tribal. It's universal. It's not based on us versus them. See, God doesn't have a favorite people group. He doesn't have a favorite political party. He doesn't have a favorite sports team. He doesn't have a favorite denomination. Some of us might have gotten flagged like, wait, 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 Doug, did you just say that God doesn't have a favorite political party? Um, yeah, yeah, see, that's a kingdom of this world mechanism. And personally, I just get so sad when, when we Christians get confused about this and we start fighting the us versus them battle. Like, for example, I've 
I've met both conservatives and liberals who can argue about where we should stand on, ah, let's pick a really not hot topic, uh, on something like immigration, right? That's, no, that's not a hot topic, right? So people have their arguments on why we should, conservative and liberal, Christians. But sadly, many of them can't tell you what Scripture actually says about it. And when that happens to any of us, like, wrong kingdom, folks, wrong kingdom. When my opinion about any subject is more formed by my favorite news channel than it is by the teachings of Scripture, wrong kingdom, wrong kingdom. And listen, I want to make sure you hear me on this. I'm not criticizing any of our choices, whether you want to be a Republican or a Democrat and how you vote. What I am asking us to look at is this. With either side, okay, when my primary us allegiance is to that particular side, Republican or Democrat, for example, when I make my allegiance to that, then I've lost my allegiance to the kingdom of God. And when that happens, I'm not following Jesus. Even if the opinion of that party in, that they endorse sounds more Christian, it's, it's simply the wrong kingdom. I was, uh, I was a news addict for quite a while. I, I claimed that I wanted to be informed about what's going on in the world, and that's not a bad thing. But eventually I had to admit that I was spending far more time with the news on, whether it was TV or, or talk radio, I was spending far more time with that going on than I was being impacted by scripture or worship music or good teaching. And like, by the way, no wonder I was so anxious, right? <laughs> um, the news, it's the U.S., it's, we, you know, it's, it's driven by marketing and, and money. And, and so how you make more money as a news station, the goal is to keep you tuned in with all the urgent stuff that you need to know. So they, on purpose, keep the anxiety level cranked up so that you think you have to stay tuned in. Like, you can't miss out. This is amazing. Don't, right? In Minnesota, like, the smallest snowstorm would happen and be like, Snow-nami is coming. And it'd be terrible. You know, just keep you glued. Um, but when I do that, especially with news areas, I allow myself to get sucked into that stuff. What happens is I get focused on the wrong kingdom. So I've been wondering for a while when it comes to this, how would, how would taking a power under, a power of the cross, kingdom of God approach, how would that impact how I see the issues of the day? Things like, Racial injustice. And I wonder, instead of sounding off about whatever today's hot topic, you know, hot button topic, what are, what are today's, just give me a few, what are today's hot button topics? Just throw some out. Gay marriage, what else? Korea. Terrorism. Give me a couple more. Abortion. Any others? Refugees. What was this? I didn't catch it. Oh, yes, okay, so yep. So how would all these hot, hot topics, right? There's all these hot topics, but let's say I'm following Jesus. What happens if we as followers of Jesus, instead of jumping in and chiming in about especially the, the really argumentative pick-aside ones, what if we spent our energy looking for ways to demonstrate love? What if that's what we did instead? Um, 
And again, I think we need to be concerned about the big issues of our day because there is injustice happening, people getting taken advantage of. We need to hear the voices of protest because they're crying out for good reason. But what we need as the church is to be a kingdom of God people who come together even though we don't all vote the same or see things the same, we have to come together as members of one body in order to show how the kingdom of God demonstrates the power of the cross by coming under with love and compassion, even while recognizing the serious issues that impact people in our community. Um. All right, can I get permission here? <clears throat> I'm going I'm to meddle just a little bit. Is that okay if I meddle? Yeah? Got permission from somebody over here. All right, it's all, it's all your fault then. Um, <clears throat> what if we, and by we, I mean guys that look like me, middle-aged white guys, um, you don't have to be round like me, <laughs> but, you know, the rest of it. Um, what if we, guys, what if we would stop and listen to the perspectives of women? What if we stop and listen to the perspectives of our black and Latino and Asian and Middle Eastern brothers and sisters? Like, what if we're willing to stop and, and hear how others experience life in our presence? And instead of dismissing their perspective by saying things like, well, I don't see color, I'm colorblind, which is <laughs> dismissive and defensive. What if we didn't do that and we slowed down enough to wonder just to wonder, like, how might it be that I'm contributing to the problem, and how could I help? I was, uh, I was driving home a few weeks ago from a dinner party. It was a Friday night. It was dark. I'm talking to my wife on the phone, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden, boom, the flashing lights and the rearview mirror. Holy smokes, does the adrenaline kick in, right? Anybody gotten pulled over recently? Yeah, like, whoa. Um, so I hung up the phone. I pulled over, and I rolled down my window, and you know what I got to thinking? I was like, ah, oh, dang, I hope I don't get a ticket. <laughs> oh, man, I really hope my insurance doesn't go up. But you, never, you know what never crossed my mind? Wow, what if, what if this guy's having a bad day? What if I get in an argument or a confrontation? What if I get arrested? What if I get shot? Because um, I know like the police, mostly good people, doing a, they're all doing a hard job. But you, you know what crosses the mind of the men of color that I've talked to about this? They go into a script of reminders and self-talk. Okay, hands on the wheel, no sudden movements. Say, yes, sir, don't react to anything. Don't try to defend yourself. And even though they, too, remind themselves that the vast majority of the police are good people, that they're just doing their job, even so, getting arrested or roughed up or even shot does cross the minds of many of my friends of color. But it never crosses my mind. And so I wrote to one of my closest friends about this, and he uh, wrote this back to me. Um, and Mark is a man of color. He said, Doug, spot-on assessment about the difference and how we, he's talking about, uh, ha how we have to respond to the flashing blue lights. I definitely, this is verbatim, he italicized, underlined, bold, all caps. I definitely, when I get profiled, go through the checklist. Then I pray, Lord, Please let your Holy Spirit be evident in me, and please don't let me get killed. I could tell you stories, he said, sadly. And he's a man of God. <laughs> um, he's a professional. He's a pilot for a major airline. Um, 
and that he has to go through that in so many different ways in so many different situations. It just breaks my heart. And so I start to wonder, how, how would taking a power under, power of the cross, kingdom of God approach, how would that impact how I see issues of racial injustice? Like, like instead of sounding off on our opinion on racial issues, especially those of us in the majority culture who I have heard sadly um, tell people that have a different skin tone, listen, just get over it. Uh, no, no, no. What if we found ways to demonstrate love instead? Like, what if we start to wonder, how can I stand with my brothers and sisters, supporting, accepting, learning, understanding? Like, I wonder how that approach would change our culture. Instead of just piling on to the argument on either side, or what makes me really frustrated is when an issue comes up, suddenly it gets shifted, the conversation gets shifted to be about something else. I wonder what would happen if we, the church, this church, led by listening and loving. See, I think we have to name this. We have to shine a, we have to shine a, a light on it. Um, here, what's, what is the opposite of, uh, of love? It's not hate. What's the opposite of love? Fear. Fear, Fear is the opposite of love. And First John tells us that perfect love casts out fear, right? So we need to confront this fear if we're going to overcome it. And I'm just tired of tiptoeing around and leaving it up to talk shows to help us form our opinions while mostly white commentators tell other white people why it's okay to be fearful, or they shift the subject from injustice to finding something to be offended over so that we don't have to be uncomfortable with facing the unjust. See, we are the people of God. That's who we are. We are the people of God following Jesus to bring the influence of a different kind of kingdom, the kind of kingdom where differences and fears are set aside and replaced by unity and brotherhood and love for one another. And in order to love, we have to admit and repent of our fear, our fear of them, whoever the them is in your life. And it may not just be racial categories. Who is the them in your life? But particularly with racial categories, fear, it's weird to start going, well, is fear racist? I mean, people start to think, you know, well, racism's more overt or active than fear. We think about overt acts of discrimination, but rarely do we talk about fear itself as being racist. I mean, after all, we think, you know, hey, um, someone who is afraid is the victim, right? Eh, no. See, our fear of becoming victims actually is turning other people into real victims. So we won't side, we won't side with justice. We, we won't speak up. We defend our cause, our people. We get defensive. We pile on one side or the other. But will we, as a people of the kingdom of God, followers of Jesus, living the way of the power of the cross, power under, will we be willing to name our fears? Will we be willing to repent? which simply means to turn a different direction. Like, what if we go back to that Colossians 3 passage? Could the church lead the culture in this for once? Could we embrace 
the way of Jesus, where there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, black or white, but Christ is all and in all, would we be God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved? Will we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? Will we bear with each other, which means somebody is really ticking you off, otherwise you don't have to bear with them. This is not an easy instruction. Bear with each other and forgive if you have a grievance. Somebody wronged you, somebody hurt you, somebody lied about you, somebody tarnished your reputation, somebody's been ruining your job, whatever it is, Bear with each other. Forgive the grievance. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and then put on love, which pulls it all together in perfect unity. We are members of one body called to peace. Friends, to do that, those five verses there, to do that, to live that way, we would have to really trust Jesus, wouldn't we? We'd have to trust him in order for us to set aside our, our fear and instead clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness to love in unity. Uh, friends, how many of you know? How many of you know that the kind of love that I'm talking about this morning, this sacrificial love that um, we would offer to people that we don't understand, that for people that aren't like us, uh, even the kind of love that Jesus talked about, the love your enemy, lay down your life for people you don't necessarily like. <laughs> how many of you know that that's not how the world sees us? And I'm talking about us as Christians in the USA. Like, the church is not known for that. It's just, it's just not. Um, I think we do a great job of it here at Hope, and we're moving that way. It's a beautiful, amazing thing, and rare. <laughs> um, but as a countrywide, as the followers of Jesus in the U.S., maybe that's why we're losing what everybody calls the culture wars. Because in ways that we're not really willing to face, we've lost our credibility. Um, we're certainly not a fragrant aroma that attracts people like we talked about a few weeks ago. Sadly, when I look at the state of many churches or the church at large, we look a lot more like a, a noisy gong, a clanging symbol. Um, maybe we're a flagrant aroma. Um, and it's because we Christians in the U.S., many of us have gotten sucked into this kingdom of the world approach, um, especially the folks that seem to speak out loudly. And by the way, um, this is nothing new for the church. It happened before. Um, for a while, it wasn't happening. I mean, beginning of the church, it wasn't happening. Beginning of the church, in fact, for the first four centuries, the church existed in a very hostile environment. I mean, think about Roman Colosseums and Christians that are being fed to lions. Not a fun place to live, right? But in that hostile environment, guess what happened? The church of Jesus Christ grew, and it spread throughout the Roman Empire. It couldn't be stopped. And the way it grew... It was by people loving like Christ loved. It wasn't by people making sure they had the right theology and correcting everyone who had the wrong theology. No, no, it grew by people who said, I am going to take up the way of the cross and I will lay my life down and I will do it with power under. And just read the stories. They paid dearly. And the church spread. It couldn't be stopped. 
400 years of that. It was amazing. But then, 4th century, Constantine became the emperor of Rome, and he converted to Christianity, not necessarily because he loved Jesus, but because it was politically expedient. Because by this time, there were more Christians in Rome doing this power under power of the cross thing than any other group. So, some historians say Constantine thought, well, I can't beat him, let's join him. And for the first time, this power under kingdom had power over status. Christianity became legalized, and soon it was the official religion of Major League Baseball. Just kidding. Wouldn't wouldn't that be great? No, by the way, no. Um, Soon Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, and for the first time ever, Christians were the majority. This is what we've been dreaming of. Pretty soon, the slogan of the church became the church militant and triumphant. Doesn't that feel good, you know? Don't you want to stand up and sing an anthem? Um, But hear this detail. In 381, Christianity became legalized. In 382, the official church executed their first heretic. I mean, just look at that. Trying to advance the kingdom of God with the kingdom of this world power, and as soon as we do, the kingdom of God, power under, gone. And that's why when I read a lot of Christian writers and hear Christian talk radio, there's a lot of fearful talk over the last, especially decade. Things like, hey, well, listen, if we don't shout really loud and carry picket signs, the Bible's going to be seen as hate literature, and pastors who say adultery is sin or homosexuality is sin, uh, they're going to be thrown in jail, so we've got to fight back. (sighs) No, no, no. Friends, friends, if we are all about advancing the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, we can't try stopping the things we think are wrong by getting bigger power over, by, by yelling louder, argue, or dominating. That's the way of the kingdom of this world. Like, I'm reminded, like, if that kind of stuff did happen, where, where we lost privileges and rights and... You know, the best days of the early church, before Constantine, when we radically shaped and impacted a culture. See, if we lose freedoms, I think we'll find the real church stepping forward, um, and it will be power under. And, and you can't stop the real deal. You, you just can't. It's, it's the kind of influence that we get when you put down the sword, you take up the cross, you lay down your life, when you become a follower of Jesus' way. But to pull that off, my friends, we and me would need a transformation. We'd need something radical. We'd need an awakening, and we'd need God to help us because we don't do this real well. Like, I don't. And I think acknowledging that we don't do this well is the next step of embracing the call of God on our Hope Covenant Church community to more deeply become a kingdom of God community. And so I want to propose to you that surrendering one's honor and power is what honor and power looks like. And the cross is a demonstration of that very thing. See, Jesus surrendered his honor and power. I mean, he was God, but he descended to earth, died a criminal's death on a cross, and he did it to demonstrate true power, power under, a sacrificial love like the world had never seen before. He loved us to 
death. And then he called us to follow him and love that way too. To demonstrate our love for him and for this broken world, not by taking up a sword, not by shouting louder, not by fighting for power over, but by taking up a cross, by loving, by power under. 